Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Uh, this is again the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. Uh, the voice you heard at the beginning uh, is Eliza. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I discovered recently I've been saying your name wrong for the entire time I've known you. That's quite all right. Uh, <laughs> and so I have corrected it this time. Um, and w- the idea of this uh, in the studio, my name is Stefan Hostetter, of course. Um, I don't know why I say of course, but, you know, why not? Uh, we're, but we're going to talk about the experience of you've told two stories with us in the past six months, seven months? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and... And we start talking about the difference of experience of telling the first story to the second story because it's a pretty common experience of sort of what the, or at least of the differences between it I found are relatively common. So uh, the first time you told the story, I believe, was in November or January? November. It was November, yeah. Yeah. Because, and you had come to the event in October. I did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you can tell, so you don't, we're going to hear the story at the end, the story you did tell at the end of this podcast. So you don't have to tell us about the story itself, but more about how sort of you, how did you get into, uh, like what happened? What was the, what mm-hmm. was it like? Well, uh, I went to the October event, um, and it was really, um, it, it really spoke to me. Um, and while I was there, while I was listening to the stories that were being told, it sort of uh, happened. I just took out my phone and I started writing snippets of this, what would eventually become the story I told. Uh, and it sort of, um, it was not planned at all, obviously, and it was, it just sort of flew out of me <laughs> into the phone. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then onto paper later, I guess. Yes. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, and and, and uh, the, the first story, you end up doing sort of a two-person back and forth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, is that like, why? <laughs> uh, I think it's, uh, it's very much how um, my sort of mind works in the sense that I have a very rational side and I have a very... Um, sort of emotional side as well, and they are often, more often than not, in conflict. So that's why I, um, and I thought it would, representing it as two people having a conversation, or yeah, almost like a, a dispute about something, was a good way of telling um, sort of the contradictions about certain feelings I was having relating to the content of the story. Hmm. Uh, so we, we, we can we can talk about the content, uh, but we're going to dance around it and let the let the audience get to find out the end. Um, but uh, yeah, so so the so the way you, and and so you you came to us with basically a full story, and 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 the editing process it didn't change that much. No, I didn't. That's yeah, right. Yeah. it just sort of was the same story. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, there was a couple of tweaks that um, you guys suggested that were really helpful. I tried to make it even more personal. I tried to add even more details about things I remember from that time. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it, yeah, it worked out pretty well, I think, for what it was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and what was it like actually telling it? Like, like what was your, like, your, your, like I, you, were, you were nervous to even be on this podcast. I can only imagine what you're like <laughs> about, to, about you were going up to the, yeah. the, the story itself. Uh, but what was that like? What was that like? It was, it was nice, actually. Um, it was nerve-wracking, but it was nice because I remember it was the, I was towards the end of the, the event. That's when my story was told. And um, so I got to see all the, the, the speakers before me. And so it was like with each speaker going up, it was like building um, both anxiety and anticipation. And then actually from, <laughs> from the actual like, moments where I was telling the story, I remember very little. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what that means. But um, yeah, I remember just there was you know, um, a substantial number of people um, in the sense that I, for, some, for somebody who has never told a story before, it was a lot of people. <laughs> but then I sort of got into the flow of it and uh, I had rehearsed it a bunch um, and I think it, it 
worked all right, except it was like told way too fast. So that's my probably my only critique. <laughs> had I had to critique myself as a you know absolute beginner, that w- would have been it. Um, Luckily, you don't have to critique yourself. <laughs> that's actually not. But see, a the rational side of me does that all the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> So that's so it's going to happen no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's unavoidable. Right. <laughs> um, okay, and, and I think that's and I think that description is. And then how did how did it feel afterwards? I guess the last. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great. There was a moment of um, I guess hesitation. You know, obviously after the story, everybody claps and it's great. But then when the event was over, that's when sort of people start to mingle and like um, ask you questions or tell you their opinion about it or things that they did understand or they didn't understand. Yeah, and so I, there was like this moment of like anxiety as to how it was going to be received, but I only got very positive sort of feedback from no it. One, no one said you talked too fast. No, that was just me. Hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was actually great because um, what I loved about experience the most, even more than telling the story or writing the story, was that I found that... Um, uh, at the event itself, after sort of the story part was over, there was uh, there was two there were two people that sort of approached me. They were like, "Oh, we um, well individually." They said, "I have the exact same problem." And um, hearing you tell it sort of um, helped me um, in some way. And it was very bizarre. One of the two people that came up to me, not only did she have the same issue, but she also had a sem- very similar trajectory in how she walked into this uh, situation in her life. So it was, uh, it was kind of uncanny, <laughs> the way there was like the similarity, yeah. Yeah. Great. And so, so yeah, so we will hear that story at some point um, in this <laughs> podcast, not generally in life. <laughs> if you keep listening to this podcast, eventually that story will occur. You, the second story you came at, you, you came with, to us with was, you actually came with, with an idea. You're like, I, I'm sort of playing around with something in my head. So if you want to have me tell a story, I could be interested. And then we sort of took you up on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I felt, was a very different it seemed like a very different writing process. Correct, yes. Yeah. It felt uh, very differently, yeah. Yeah, and, and so what, what was that process like? Um, well, it was, it was almost as if I came at it from the opposite direction. So the first time around, it's, it happened. It just, the story fell into place. And I guess it was ripe in the sense that, you know, it was a way for me to sort of uh, process certain things that um, are not very recent. And the second story... Um, was the exact opposite. It was about something that was very recent and that sort of uh, still needed processing. And so it was on, on my mind all the time. And so I thought uh, about trying to put it into words to maybe explain it to myself. Yeah, and so that's what I did, but it was definitely a more conscious act. It was a let me sit down and think about how to put this into words as opposed to it just happening. Right, yeah, you were like piece by piece by piece. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, and it was like definitely more, much more of a struggle than the first time around. Mm. Um, and I think the reason for that is that it's 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 recent, right? There's mm. like a there's less time has passed, less processing has happened, less uh, forgiving has happened for certain things. So, yeah, mm. that's interesting. The, the, the word the word forgiving there is something you dive into, but we won't do that in this <laughs> podcast. It is interesting to think of this trying to use stories in those two very different ways, right? Mm-hmm. The first story was you would guess in your head long enough that you sort of knew. Yeah, it seems as if you knew what you wanted to say before exactly. you even said it. Exactly, yeah. Um, and the second story was very much, a, well, I almost like, well, the first story felt good to do that with, so what if we try that on something that's much, much more raw? Yeah, yeah, perhaps, yeah, perhaps that's what happened. Um, I, I felt that the first time around it was definitely something that was helpful, and it was an um, all-around positive experience. Mm. And it helped me sort of um, round off and sort of rationalize certain things a bit better. 
um, just because they were out there and I had to make them understandable to brains that were not just my own. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I thought, um, and I still think that um, even for things that are much more recent, that is beneficial, at least for me. Hmm. Uh, And so was your experience, like the second story is much, the second story is about, uh, sort of about a relationship, basically. Um, Yeah, in some ways, yeah. yeah, uh, In some ways. Relationships more generally, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, You know, Um, and and, and I guess it, uh, so I I feel like it elicited a different kind of audience response, perhaps. Uh, But did you get a similar sort of feeling, like were you less nervous telling it the second time? Did you feel like you were a little more, or you equally as... as No, I probably was more nervous telling the second story than the first one. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Why? Because the second story, at least to my own eyes, it doesn't put me into a a positive light necessarily. Whereas the first story, um, maybe because it was a while ago... um, or, and because I've sort of my, made my peace with it, uh, and just by the nature of the topic itself, you know, it uh, it portrays me almost as I don't want to say the victim of a situation, but uh, definitely something that happened to me versus something that I am making happening. <laughs> mm, right. Yeah. And, and so you felt like you are less implicated to some extent. Um, implicated in a very different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. And the the second story. It's about something that uh, is less of the nature of something that just happens to you versus something that uh, you just sort of like, just, you just experience because you want to experience it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I hear you're, you're, you, you are, you, we, there are rumblings you might tell the third story. <laughs> uh, do you envision the third story experience being more like sort of the first one, which you're sort of working on, or more of like a, a, a sort of raw in what's happening right now kind of experience? Um, I think it's going to be entirely different again because uh, it's... Um, I think it's going to be about the topic of belonging and home. Mm. Um, and I think it's going to be about me in the sense that it's going to be about some of it will be my childhood experiences as seen through my father's eyes, I think. It's oh, wow. what it's going to be, yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, you did it. <laughs> wow. <yoo-hoo. laughs> <laughs> um, uh, here, uh, we're going to play uh, the first story you told uh, to our audience right now. And audience, if you desperately have to hear the first story, want to hear the second story, we'll try to convince Elisa to come back on the podcast <laughs> next year uh, and, and to discuss that second story. Uh, so take it away, uh, Elisa. two people standing here tonight. There is number one over here. She's the one that likes to be in control and is usually the brain of any operation, except tonight. She's not on board with what is about to, what is about to be said here. She would like to sit back down, not make a fuss and, you know, just get on with it. Which would be so easy to do if it was not for number two over here. This one is kind of a hypersensitive, needy, let's talk about it and then hug kind of person who rarely gets anything accomplished. This is a dialogue. There is the all too familiar, uncomfortable tickle in the back of my throat, which I've mastered to relentless perfection. My fingers just behind the bumpy spot at the back of my tongue. I can't miss it and I know exactly how to trigger it. When the heaving starts again, I know the uncomfortable part is almost over. The biology of the reflex will take care of the rest. So wonderfully reliable. After flushing down the contents of my stomach, I take meticulous care in cleaning the toilet bowl. This thing I do is my secret, and I intend to keep it this way. That's gross. 
Can you please be less descriptive? <laughs> Growing up, the mother tongue is silence. Both parents consistently at the end of their tether, silence is the safest path to tread. Very early on as a child, I realized that it is within my power to give them happiness, raise the curtain of anxiety that pervades our lives ever so slightly by being good at things. I'm the A-plus child. I'm the athlete. I'm the diligent child, the hardworking only child from a lower middle class household. In the mind of the child that was me, the certainty is powerful. As a consequence, while I lay my successes at my parents' feet and bathe in the warmth of their delight before the sky clouds over yet again, all my failures are very much private. I want to shield them from any disappointment or yet another burden for them to carry. All my failures are private, all my sorrows are as well. Oh, would you stop telling this sad tale? Is this even really true? I don't recall it being that bad, you're just being dramatic. <laughs> The first time I become aware of eating disorders in a meaningful way was at school, of all places. And the topic is presented to me as a cautionary tale. In the book, a description of these disorders is accompanied by a sad piece about a girl and her years of struggle. This is followed by some sort of list about the many types of eating disorders. As I read them, my mind becomes entangled with the line mentioning bulimia. I immediately fall in love with the thought. I like the reversibility of the events I romanticize the immediate tangibility of the results. I'm barely 13 when I tried a few days later after school for the first time. I lock myself into the bathroom, even though I'm alone at home anyway, and timidly and awkwardly push two fingers back until the heaving starts. It hurts and it works. It's like sorcery. I knew this was a bad idea, even at the time, just saying. <laughs> Falling apart is not something I can allow myself to do publicly. Not when home feels like it's built on quicksand, perilously swaying around me. I can never think the thought of communicating my sorrows, which I can barely put into words myself, to conclusion. It's a task too monumental. And besides, th surely these don't even count as real sorrows. Falling apart privately, however, is doable to the point of being convenient. It becomes a routine. School, home, nobody around for hours on end, eat then keep eating, thousands of calories every day, then visit the bathroom, thousands of calories flushed away. And it's liberating. It's all about the time between the beginning of the binge and facing the bowl. 20 or 30 minutes of bliss, of abandonment, unreal shreds of time when I numb myself with food and television, before being able to reverse it all, make it unhappen, and make it invisible to anyone but me. Eat, purge, eat, purge, on repeat. 20 or 30 minutes is the, time I, is the time I thought it takes to digest things, which is just plain wrong, by the way. Who knows where I picked up this piece of pseudoscience? <laughs> Over time, emptying the contents of my stomach becomes, I wouldn't say an obsession, but a routine, an ever-present thought, like some sort of demanding present, a giant in my brain that I can't ignore just by the sheer volume he occupies between my thoughts. Purging always feels raw, but gratifying. I'm now intimately acquainted with what different types of food look like the second time around. Which ones would be easy to retrieve? Which ones would be dry, meaning I will have to drink extra water? Which ones would burn on the way back up? Which ones, like tomatoes, are prone to staining the bowl? Again, gross. I thought we'd said we'd like to be less descriptive. <laughs> my rendezvous with the giant are not about my body. It isn't really about the food either. I don't think it ever is. These are just proxies for my suffocating emotional isolation. And so I do not think of what I'm doing as being technically bulimia. When I read about it happening to other unknown people, it sounds monstrous. 
My giant seems to be less hateful. He's almost kind, like a friend. Uh, I think you need better friends. <laughs> <laughs> the giant is my friend, and he's a main channel through which I express myself. I'm shouting, but in the quietest way I know how. I'm hurting, but in the least conspicuous way I know how. I think people around me are largely oblivious of my behavior. Again, I've become a master of the technique. I can do it pretty much whenever, wherever. Find a bathroom, lock the door, turn on the sink tap to conceal any sounds that may escape my throat. Then kneel. Moments later, wash my face, double check my shirt, my sleeves, the bowl, the underneath of the bowl, the hinges of the seat in the bowl, the spot where I touched the flush, the floor, in between the tiles, etc. I really should have gone into forensics as a profession. <laughs> I also develop a strange ritualistic relationship with objects that live in the bathroom, particularly the floor tiles. Small and lime green squares in the periphery of my vision when I face the bowl, white surrounded in green. Some of them are uneven, crooked, or chipped. They tarnish the overall symmetry of the view. I gladly lose sight of them once the blood rushes to my head and makes them turn first bright orange, then deep red, then dark purple, then black. Who needs drugs when you've got this, am I right? <laughs> he's, he's holding my hands in his. <laughs> he's holding my hands in his, like some sort of fidgety, knotted ball and he's shaking them as he speaks so as to reinforce his point. Promise me you won't do it again, promise me. I'm 18 and somebody knows. Okay, come on now, wrap it up. You're not workshopping a novel anytime soon. <laughs> My heart is pounding. I feel ashamed and I do promise. For a few months, this promise is louder than the giant's persuasions, but it is right from the beginning a lie. I know that my true loyalty remains with the giant. Like sitting on a boat and knowing you're with absolute certainty headed for a waterfall. There is nothing to do if you have no interest in paddling, but to wait for that stretch of water to run out and then just witness the fall. Purging, then, feels like coming home. Are you done? The obsession changes focus over time. As the years pass, the purge itself leaves the limelight. Instead, what stays behind is a special sensation right after a purge. A sense of fragility and woundedness, like a hurt bird. A sense of pureness, all the dirt forcefully ripped from my body and washed away. Often I emerge from the bathroom with a lightheadedness because of the forced pressure in my head, and an aching stomach and a burning esophagus. This type of pain I can do something about. This type of broken can be made better with peppermint tea. This kind of hurt I can nurture into a sensation of healing. We're done. This is the end, right? You probably guessed this story has no conclusion. Rather, it fades. Over time, my giant has shrunk to the size and shape of an ugly gnome that lives somewhere in the meanders of my consciousness and comes out to play occasionally. Like the most loyal of false friends, he presents himself at the worst of times. There, can this be over now? Let's please be done with this. Thanks for listening to the stories we don't tell. You can subscribe on iTunes, uh, where you can leave a comment. You also can like Facebook or our Facebook page, depending on how you feel. You can visit storieswedonttell.org for more information. This episode of the Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by PigeonPooRemoval.inc. PigeonPooRemoval.inc, because sometimes there are too many pigeons in that time is all the time. <laughs>